0: Hey y'all, I'm Sandra Fam.
1: And I'm Min Vu. Welcome to Asian in Austin.
0: So for this episode, I'm I'm super thrilled that we were able to get Zoe on the episode. I know you and I have talked extensively and th- throughout our other episodes. Obviously, local politics overall, just the state of the city and is super important to us. So yeah, I'm so happy that we were able to bring on this month's guest.
1: Yeah, I mean, growing up, I remember doing a mock election in middle school and being taught the importance of a vote. Obviously, I think growing up, my parents also voted, but mostly in presidential elections. And we didn't really talk too much about politics, but as I got older, definitely like midterm elections, local elections, all of the elections and how important civic engagement is became really top of mind, especially as we learned history and just how history conforms everything, basically. So, yeah, it's really exciting to be able to, to bring him on today and I'll read a little bit of his bio and we'll get into the interview. The firstborn child of immigrants, Zohed Qadri is the first South Asian American and Muslim elected to serve on the Austin City Council. He was elected to represent District 9 in 2022 and serves the residents of some of Austin's oldest neighborhoods, including Travis Heights, Hyde Park, and downtown. He's committed to tackling Austin's housing crisis, fighting for an expanded and equitable transit system, and protecting and uplifting Austin's most marginalized residents. He currently lives in downtown Austin with his wife, Wolfa, a physician assistant at Baylor Scott and White, and their cat, Daisy May. All right, let's get into the interview.
0: Hi, Zoe. Welcome to the Asian in Austin podcast.
2: Hey, how are you doing?
0: Good. We're so thrilled to have you. You know, we like to start our episode and allow you to do a quick intro. Would you like to share your ethnicities and pronouns and any other identities that you'd like our listeners to know?
2: Yeah. My name is Zaheb Zokadri B. I am a Pakistani American Austinite. Been in Austin for the past 14 years. You know, really love this city and I have felt like this has been my home from day one. You know, I'm, I'm a kid of immigrants, so I kind of moved around a lot as a kid, but moved here for college and kind of never left. And I'm the Asian member on the dais, I guess.
0: I love that. So I know this has been your first year on City Council. We're going to dive into all that fun stuff. I'm sure you have lots of things to share with us. I know it's probably been crazy, but how are you spending your free time? What are you enjoying? <laughs> <laughs> the, the kind of relax?
2: great question. Yeah, I mean, it, we're eight months in. Next month to start of month nine, and I, I think it's it's crazy how fast time goes. You know, truthfully, a lot of the, the time is spent in in the office. I, I normally get in around eight nine, depending on the day, and I'm here. And a good day, I leave at five, but on most days, it's more like seven ish that I I go back home. I don't have much free time on the weekdays, but on the weekends, I do try to make it mine and give it to my family, my wife, my friends. So I think what we've been doing lately, my wife and I, we've started running again. Uh, we were, I guess, runners in our youth and had to kind of stopped running for a bit. So we've kind of gotten more on that grind. My wife really likes yoga. So we've started going, you know, to do like yoga once a week. And what I like to do at the very least once a month, and this is something that I did as a candidate and I always uh, want to continue to do is, is have that time, like a date night with my wife. So whether it's going out to a restaurant or it's going out to a movie or just like hanging out, you know, in in this city or elsewhere, it's always great. But we had a small little break during the summer. It was a, I guess, a session break of sorts. So I went to Japan for the first time, and I, I loved it. And we bought back a lot of goodies. That now we found out there's an online store where we can just order some of our like, favorite snacks. So we've been we've been doing that a lot. So I guess that's uh, that's what I do in my free time. I order really expensive Japanese snacks on the internet. Oh, I
0: love that! Do you frequent Asahi Imports shop? It's a yeah. Japanese. Yeah, so
2: I uh, we we got these spices from. We went to uh, Osaka and we went to Tokyo and then we went to like a bunch of other cities, but we got these spices that we found out they also have at that place in Austin.
1: So yeah, that's so fun. Well, so we know a little from your bio that you and your family are from Victoria, Texas, or or came to Victoria, Texas, and so maybe going from this Japan trip and bringing it back to yeah. kind of the the first moments in Victoria, Texas, what kind of brought your family to Victoria specifically? Yes,
2: yeah, so I was born in Jersey, both of my parents came to the States, my mom came in the 1970s with her family, settled on the East Coast, uh, lived in New York City, and then eventually moved to, I don't know, I guess the Jersey suburbs. And then my dad came right after med school in Pakistan. He moved to the States, got married to my mom. I was born in Jersey, grew up in, in upstate New York. We moved to Texas, truthfully, because it was where there was an opportunity for my dad to, to work. I remember as a 12-year-old living in New York and you know, being like one of the only places I knew at the time with a lot of diversity, being told we're either going to move to Kentucky, North Carolina, Tennessee, or Texas. And I'm like, all these sound god-awful. But we ended up in moving to Texas, and, you know, I am very thankful for, for the move. You know, those few years I had in Victoria before moving to Austin for college kind of really shaped who I am and, you know, made a lot of lifelong friendships and, you know, still have family and friends in the area. Uh, and this is something that you all might know or might not know, but right after the Trump presidency started, my hometown mosque was burnt down by someone who had been inspired by former President Trump's rhetoric. And that's something that really shook me and my sense of safety and security. And then so many others and a very complete aside, but there's a, a filmmaker who I got to know through the process. So I guess for the past six years now, her name is Lee Liu. She's based out of LA, but went to UT and is from the Houston area. She's an AAPI filmmaker and she chronicled from the moment the mosque was burnt down to it's rebuilding over a, a three-year span or so. And I got to know her and her documentary is actually coming out. So I'm going to give that a quick shout out. It's called A Town Called Victoria. And I know it's going to be shown at a bunch of film festivals, including in Austin. So I'm just really excited about that. But yeah, my my time in Victoria was short. But, you know, I'm thankful for every any place I've lived, whether it was New Jersey, where I was born or New York, where I you know, was up until I was 12. Like, I think they all play their little part in who I am now.
0: Yeah, thanks for sharing about that film. I actually was not aware about the burning of that mosque, and I'm sure there's lots of feelings surrounding that, having yeah. it in your your hometown. So appreciate you shedding light for sure. So I know what drove your move to Austin was going to UT. You're a fellow Longhorn, so our Min and I. Yeah. Your family has a background, all in medicine. I think you initially went in the mindset of I'm gonna go, I'm gonna also pursue science and medicine. There's some shifts that happened. So you studied humanities and then also later on pursuing your master's, then going into public admin at Texas State and things like that. Can you walk us through what led some of the career pivots there?
2: Yeah, I think, and it sounds very cliche and cheesy and corny, but I think like every Asian, South Asian, I was like, I want to go into medicine and become a doctor. Uh, And a lot of it was because I saw my dad as a physician and my, my mom worked in the healthcare field. I mean, now I ended up marrying a, a PA and one of my sisters works at MD Anderson. And I think it's like this continuous loop and I, I'm the kind of the black sheep of the family. But, you know, what I saw through my dad and, and others in my family and in my community was, you know, I guess like public service to a degree through through medicine, right? Like that was their way of giving back to the community. I'd also see in their free time using the, the privilege that comes with being a physician of giving back to their, I guess their home country, right? So my dad did a lot of charity work and you know overseas in Pakistan, you know helped set up rural hospitals in the mountainous regions in Pakistan where they don't have that accessibility is in there to, to healthcare. So for me, that was like the coolest thing in the world, and that's what I wanted to be since I was a kid. And I remember, while well, other kids might have had like action figures, I had those like Fisher Price like little stethoscopes and band-aids. I don't know if you remember that. So that's what I thought I wanted to do. And then I I came to UT as a bio pre-med student, uh, started taking the classes. And, you know, truthfully, that that interest wasn't there. The respect for the profession was there, but the interest for necessarily the work wasn't there. And what I was noticing in, in Austin was a city that has so much. And, you know, it's the capital of Texas. You know, it's a wealthy state, a wealthy city, and a wealthy country, you know, all that stuff. And right across from university... Know it's the drag, and on the drag, there's unhoused people that you see. And I think truthfully, now more than when I was an undergrad there, and there's just people suffering, people dying, you know, due to elements if it gets too hot or too cold. Like I said, things have only gotten worse since I first came to Austin, and I couldn't make sense of it because I'm like, How is all this happening in such a wealthy place with just so much? And when we look at places like Pakistan, where my parents were born. You know, there is a lot of poverty and a lot of corruption, and that's why I could, it doesn't justify it, but I could make sense of, of suffering. It couldn't make sense of it here. So I, I wanted to be a part of policy solutions on, you know, like, you know, maybe my way of giving back won't be through the avenues that my mom and my dad and, and others have done, but maybe I could give back through finding policy solutions to this. So I switched paths. I think you, you highlighted it. I ended up getting a master's in public admin from Texas State. And got introduced to city government that way through I believe it was a through the city of Kyle. I did some work there. And then I did right after that, I did a master's in global affairs at Rice University in Houston. I did some work at the city of Houston. And then the Trump presidency happened. And then I pivoted towards some more electoral work, especially after the burning of, of the mosque that I had mentioned earlier on and got involved in campaigns and you know, I worked for Beto Senate race, came back to Austin during my time at Rice uh, and uh, when that was over and worked at the Capitol and then ended up working on Senator Warren's presidential campaign, which was, I think, a very impactful career opportunity that I'm very much still thankful to this day. And I think kind of, you know, you see the fingerprints of that job and that opportunity and and the senators work both now in my time in office, but also when I was a candidate. So I, I think that was like the single biggest career opportunity that, that I'm very, very thankful for, but I think it's been very impactful. And then I did some other advocacy work before deciding to jump into the race, which was a, a whole different beast uh, on its own.
0: Yeah. I mean, you have had quite the journey, obviously, in higher education and in pursuing and, and shaping your career. I'm interested in knowing how was your experience at Texas State and Rice? Did you, you know, getting more exposure also to those other Texas cities? Did you feel compelled at all to maybe stay in those cities, or what kind of drew you also back to to Austin?
2: Yeah, so Austin is the best, and UT is the best. UT is playing Rice in football this year, and I will I will cheer on UT, and they're also playing Rice in Texas State in basketball, and I'll also cheer on UT. But as long as those two schools aren't playing UT, I will it will be a, a Bobcat or, or an Owl. But yeah, so when I when I went to Texas State, I, I lived in Austin, so I commuted. So I I truthfully, you know, I was very thankful for the professors there, and I mean, I still keep in contact with a lot of my classmates, professors, and and I think I'm going back actually to Texas State in a month or two to, like, speak to a class, but I wasn't immersed in San Marcos at all. I was very much in Austin, so I I can't really speak to the city, and I, I knew that I wanted to be in Austin. When I went to Rice, that was probably the hardest, I guess, move for me because I was, you know, very much loved being in Austin and it was a program that was a two-year program. I only did it a year and a half in Houston. The last half year, I was I was already back in Austin, but it was a really good opportunity and a great school that I remember when I first moved to Texas that I was like, oh, wow, rice, and never thought I'd go. And that looked like the case for a while until I until I got in. Uh, but even when I was in Houston, my mind, like I was coming to Austin, I would say almost every weekend, like my heart was in Austin. I knew I was going to be back in Austin. A majority of my classmates who went to that program at Rice, either work in D.C. now or, or work in New York, or some of them have stayed in, in Houston. And I remember my professor talking to me about, well, if you really want to make it big, or if you really want to do, you know, consulting, if you really want to work in government, you need to go to New York, D.C., you know, etc. And for me, it was like, no, I, I want to go back home, right? Because this is the city I've lived in longer than I've lived anywhere else in my life, and it's a city that I've, I've grown up in and I deeply love. But I can still see parts where. You know, and I talked about this as a candidate. And I didn't even talk about it as now. It's it's a beautiful city, but it is a city that fails many populations, and I want to be part of those solutions. So I, I knew that my time there was going to be temporary. I'm thankful for it, but you know, Austin, Austin over Houston in my book. Uh-oh. Uh oh,
1: Sandra's from, from Houston. She's from Houston. My wife's
2: from Houston, but she went
1: to Houston. UT as well. We yeah, all all of our metros in have great <laughs> yeah. things to offer
2: for different yeah. people. <laughs> I, I, I love the food scene in Houston. I'll say that. Uh, my wife's that's from Houston. That's what we talk about and, a lot. hundred Yes, yeah, it, it's great. And I'm I'm waiting until the next time I either have to visit a family member or friend, so I could go to the Hillcroft area in Houston. I don't know if y'all are familiar with that. It's like great yeah. like ethnic. Yeah. 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 Yes. So,
1: yeah. Well, that's what we talk about. Houston's very international. And yeah. Austin just it's doesn't have that. Not- <laughs> <bad. laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Not as much, at least. I'm curious, having heard more about your family's experience with giving back and service. What was their experience more specifically with politics, and how was their reaction, or what was that reaction like when you decided to share you wanted to focus more on that side of things?
2: Yeah, I think many, I guess, immigrant communities, especially ones that don't have a seat at the table and never had a seat at the table, they're not, you know, truthfully, not super engaged. Uh, So I I remember as a kid, like my parents voted what was what's the first election I remember? In two thousand, they voted for Gore, and I remember staying awake as like I guess the Florida contest was still being like pending and like not knowing who won. And then I remember they voted all the presidential elections, and remember my dad would watch the news, but like there wasn't any super, you know, we didn't have the yard signs in, in the front of our house, you know, no one volunteered on campaigns. Like there was that level of responsibility to to vote and to make sure we we did vote. But, you know, truth, if I have to actually think about it, I think my parents voted in presidential years. I think it was after I got I started getting involved where I was like, no, we vote in midterms, too. Like, we don't just vote when it's the president. And I think when they well, I guess two things. I think when I initially told them that I was like moving away from from medicine and into public service, government type work, whatever you want to call it, political work, I, I personally was almost afraid that I was going to let them down, that, you know, I since I was like a child. I had talked about you know this this dream of mine, and then I, I think I was almost conflating my dream and thinking it was their dream, and that if I wasn't doing it, I was letting them down. And for them, they it wasn't a, it wasn't an expectation from me, and it wasn't something they were ever pushing on me. But I think that was a worry of mine. But when when I told both of them, they were both like very supportive. And I told I'm trying to think what year was it? I think I was like a junior at UT when I I made the switch. So I ended up uh, you know staying a little bit longer than I needed to in college. But, you know, I I mean, just immense support. And my dad said, you know, whatever you do, I know you'll, you'll do a great job at it. And for me, that was like a very reaffirming thing. My dad passed away a decade ago. So he obviously didn't get to see how things kind of played out. But I remember when I was even thinking about running for office, like the people that I knew that I needed to get, I guess, to sign off on it was my wife, because if your wife doesn't believe in you, that's not good. And then, and then my mom, because, you know, she's been in my corner since I was born. So, and, and they were both like very excited. And, you know, also you don't know what to expect, right? You, you know what you know, and you don't know what you don't know, but, you know, just immense support. And, you know, I, I don't think outside of obviously having a support group from friends and other family members, but like without those two, I don't know if I'm able to get through the finish line.
1: Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. I think something that resonates is when you talk about feeling like maybe subconsciously you're trying to live out their dream, but even if they weren't pushing that on you, it feels like a common, I've heard that a lot from different Asian families or Asian immigrants and stuff and how that kind of manifests, even though maybe in some cases, the parents, I'm like my, my case, my parents are kind of pushing uh, a narrative of what they expect from me and what kind of things that they hope for me. But it's really, I think at the core of it, what ends up happening is they really just want us to be safe and happy and, and, you know, be well, and yeah. so ways that we can find opportunities that provide that to us, like their support of a yeah. hundred percent. Yeah.
0: So Zoe, you've told us that Austin is the the city that you've lived the longest. It is home to, to all of us. I'm sure within the 14 years plus that you've lived here, as all of us have seen the city change tremendously. I wanted to see if you could share for you personally, what have you seen change the most given also the district that you represent and what your perspective is, especially given the last, I would say probably two to three years with the growth. Some may say very controversial, maybe for the betterment in the city, some may say not, but I, I'd love to get your perspective on that.
2: Yeah, I would say for, for me personally, I guess I'll answer it in two ways. I remember when I was thinking about where to go to college, you know, I like I said I was I was born in Jersey and lived in upstate New York. So when I moved to Texas, I I didn't know what a longhorn or an Aggie was, but I remember a kid asking me as a as a 12 year old, they're like, what are you a longhorn or an Aggie? And I just remember Longhorn just sounded cooler. So I was like, I'm a longhorn. You know, I remember like Then coming here. And I was like, you know what, this is a cool city, cool university, cool downtown, you know, UT football, ACL, all that cool stuff. And unlike cities like New York and LA and I don't know, Seattle and Chicago, I can see myself living here when I graduate because of the affordability aspect of it, right? Like it's a great city where, you know, the ability to own a home is attainable, right? That dream. And, you know, fast forward 14 years, I've always been a renter in this city. And it's because that concept of home ownership, you know, is becomes more and more fleeting for a lot of Austinites. And that's one of the reasons I wanted to run, right? Because of the lack of affordability and a lack of affordable housing in the city. So I think that's the big change that I've seen, right? I mean, I, I think anytime you talk about, you know, I hear folks often talk about, well, it's not the Austin of old, and you know, about you know, staying this like small, sleepy college town. I'm glad we're not that because I think with growth, we've also Seeing you know different types of people come in like myself, and I think bringing in diversity is, is never a bad thing. And I think that's the one thing I've I've enjoyed the most about Austin in recent times is is this growth of people and food and you know culture that that's coming into the city. But so that's a, that's a plus of, of what I've seen change. But you know the negative is the lack of affordable housing and things that I didn't think of when I was an undergrad because I truthfully just drove everywhere. But now being you know an adult at thirty three and still driving but not as much I try to walk or use public transit but then realizing that hey this public transit doesn't really work for everyone and it's not really accessible for everyone and it's not everywhere where it should be it was an eye-opening thing as i got older in the city because i think going to ut you're kind of in a bubble right you go to class you walk across the drag most students i think are in west campus you know that's your life and then i think once you kind of leave the ut area and you're, you're throughout Austin, you see, well, you know, maybe maybe the city doesn't work for everyone in the same way. And I think representing a district like District 9, which is a very wealthy district, which is also not a very you know diverse district. I think about 65 to 70 percent of the district is white and they have a South Asian Muslim representing them. Right. Which is also pretty cool. But also, you know, I also realize I think it puts me in a unique lens, because if you look at the different members on the dais, you know, the members of color represent districts that are predominantly people of color. And then there's me. And then the members who are, who are uh, you know, white represent districts that are, you know, uh, have a large, you know, white population. So I, I think a- having this lens for me is, is a unique way to, to see what we have and, and realizing those privileges, but also seeing what other districts don't have and seeing where we could be an advocate in uh, amplifying voices and and pushing for positive change throughout the city.
0: Yeah, that was such a poignant way of putting that. So we also know that you have spent your career post-grad working on several campaigns and things like that. And so you've been in the world of politics, but I'm curious, what were like some of the biggest surprises now being on city council that you've experienced over the last nine months?
2: Well, one thing, God, there's a lot of surprises. (laughs) I think, you know, there's often this thing where before anyone gets into office, we're when you're a candidate that oh I have the most experience and that's why I'm the best suited for the job and I think being on the dais you realize that unless you are on the dais you don't know what it means to to be on the dais right like I, I play pickup basketball with friends but I don't know what it means to be in the NBA right and unless you're in the NBA you probably don't know what it means to be a professional basketball player and I think this, the same thing rings true for uh, a lot of things so I think the the speed at which things go right at times I feel like oh I would think that happened really fast right where at times I'm like, like this is taking a lot longer than, than I can. And then realizing the good that you can do with the position and the job and the office, right? Um, and advocating for people and pushing through good policy, but also at times realizing the limitations you have, especially when you were a, a blue city in a red state. And recently the the state passed the debt star bill, which took away a lot of, I, guess, I don't know, powers and rights from local electeds and local offices and, and, and whatnot. So I think those are, probably the biggest things. I mean, I think there's been a lot of stories that I can say from just talking to constituents that a lot of the work, I mean, I don't know. I feel like I could just write a book on all the things I've learned, but you know, there's been times that I've been the lone no vote on, on an issue or there's been a time that I've been a no vote or a yes vote on an issue, on an item and and it, and it ultimately dies, but even in that loss there, there's a level of of a win, right? Because you stand up for the right thing and through that loss other good things can come of it. And maybe there was an item and and it failed to pass, but it mobilized the community, you know, it was a close vote. And then you bring forward another item that does have the legs to pass, right? So I think learning that you might lose one week and then, you know, two weeks later when when there's a meeting, you win, right? Uh, I think realizing the importance of outreach is a big thing for me. I think it's something that I always thought about as a constituent in terms of like, okay, who does a good job and who doesn't? But I think being in the office now that, it's a lot of it is obviously putting forward good policy, but a lot of it is is doing the work and making sure your constituents are heard because a person can come up to me and say, you know what, I hate you and I hate how you vote. And I can take that. I'm like, OK, cool. And, you know, how can I do better? And let's break bread. But if you tell me, hey, your office is not respond to me and you're not present and I don't see you anywhere, that's something I can't defend. Right. I could defend a vote. I can't defend not being present. And I think that's something that's really important to me. It's been important for the past eight months, and I intend to still continue to make it a staple of this office, is to be super present. And I think that's it's something that I didn't realize, but I, I see now being on the other side how important it is and how easy it is to, you know, I guess, all in the gaps. And that's something that I, I very much don't want to do.
1: Yeah, I really appreciate you kind of naming the district that you're in, in demographics that represent that district and mm-hmm. kind of how... Your identity as a Pakistani American provides a unique lens and kind of setup there, a relationship (laughs) between your constituents and yourself. I'm curious how your identity and that lived experience, how does that inform how you show up to this work and to the district? And then I'm curious what reception has been and what kind of like learnings do you feel like both of y'all are having to come together on or if there are more similarities
2: yeah i think how i approach the work or when i I guess when i show up i want to make sure i'm prepared because i i think one thing that i've noticed is that you know i could have the same amount of education or more than colleagues but for whatever reason it's it almost seems like it's like never enough right i feel like i and i felt like this when i was you know working towards being in this position not being this position i feel like i at times have to you know, be twice as present and twice as good and twice as strong. You know, like like you have to work two times as hard because, you know, like I said, the the demographic that I represent, and it's not saying that people have uh, an an inherently negative bias, but I do think that sometimes there is a bias, right? Like I'm I'm the youngest person on the dais. Um, I got elected at 32. Um, you know, like I said, a South Asian Muslim. Like I wasn't born in Austin, so I think there's these things that people look at me and they're like, you know, who are you, right? So I think I I always want to make sure that I, like I said, I am present and I'm accessible to people so they get to know who I am as a person. And just so that all they don't see is just the policy that we put out. But even when they just see the policy that's being put out, it's good, clean, crisp policy. And, you know, I'm, I'm a huge fan of standing up for what's right. But I think I prefer good policy over just symbolic policy, right? Because good policy can actually move the needle on issues. Symbolic policy is just kind of there and then it just kind of disappears after a while. In terms of what has reception been, I mean, I think it's been great. I mean, obviously there's a lot of folks that I need to, that didn't vote for me, but, you know, I I still work for them. And what I've wanted to do is that people who, whether they were big community leaders or just a resident who might not have voted for me, like I want them to trust me and to get to know me and to, to, earn, their, to earn their confidence. It's not even about earning a vote, right? It's to earn their confidence. So I think that's something that I've, you know, made an effort to do. I, I think people who, Supported me and and do support me. Like I want to continue to earn that trust and earn the, earn that support. And I think from a representation aspect, when it's an Asian person or a South Asian person or a Muslim person, like I understand the, uh, you know, I don't take for granted being in this position. And I remember after I got elected, there were a few I guess I'll call them elders of the South Asian community who reached out to me and they're like, you know, you're the first one from our community in the seat, like excuse my language, but they were basically like, don't get f- it up, right? Like, do a good job. <laughs> and, and and I was like, no, of course. I mean, I'll, I'll, like, I'll always reach out to people and I'm like, tell me if I'm doing a good job, right? Like, where can I do better, right? Because if I'm at my best now, then I'm lying to you because I think there's always going to be growth and I'll be better my last day in office than I am on my first day. But I think being that that person that the dais, like, I don't take for granted. When something happens in the Asian community a lot of times, whether it's a good thing or a bad thing, I reached out to, and, and like I said, I don't take that for granted for a second because I remember when I was when I was much younger and I would see people who looked like me on TV, you know, post 9-11, it was uh, shows like Seinfeld who showed this like Pakistani restaurant owner who was like always messing up and then was like eventually deported. And as a kid, I was like, oh, so that's how people think of me, right? Like I have a funny accent and I'm a mess up. And then after 9-11, it was always like anyone who looked like me was was the villain. And, you know, then as a kid, I was like, oh, shoot, right? Like people, now Now I'm the bad guy, right? I went from the person being made fun of to the bad guy. And it wasn't until I saw, what was it? Star Wars Rogue One with with Riz Emma, who's a Pakistani British actor. And he was like the good guy in the movie and he like saved the rebellion. I was like, wow, that was the first time in my life that I saw someone who looked like me as the good guy, right? And I think that's what I hope to do. and A lot of people do it, whether, like I said, it's a South Asian community, the, the Muslim community, the Asian community at large. It's like representation where people who are from our community, right, see ourselves, like, on on the big screen, right? Like, I saw Past Lives during, I think it was the Austin Asian Film Festival. Great movie. Uh, or people, my younger siblings are, like, obsessed with, like, Miss Marvel, right? Like, I didn't have that growing up. And I think that's important to see yourselves in, like, the arts and the entertainment. And then I think when it comes to occupations like a city council member or, or whatnot, like, I, maybe a campaign manager or maybe a chief of staff. Like, I want people from the... Asian community, the Muslim community to see themselves in the, in this role and not only see themselves as the city council member, but like see themselves as a state rep or a U.S. congressperson or or the president. Right. And I remember when I was running, a, a guy came up to me and, and his daughter must have been, I don't know, like six, seven. He said to me, he's like, oh, my, my daughter is going to be president one day. And I looked at him I'm like, yeah, and I hope I get to like volunteer on our campaign and vote for her. Right. And I think it's so important to kind of put that in the mind of like this next generation or these next generations, like the sky's the limit for you.
1: Yeah, I completely agree. Representation matters 100%. And Sandra and I talk about this a lot on the show of different moments in which people have that rogue one moment and you mm-hmm. have that visibility. It really does help you imagine what a path could forward could be. I appreciate you naming that. I I also think it can sometimes be, you know, a little bit of an undue burden, especially being the first, as you as you mentioned, and having some of that pressure, I think it's, it's understandable. And it's part of it. Um, Yeah. But yeah, you know, it can, it can feel a little challenging, because I think the, the fact is, we know that the AAPI umbrella that we're all under is so massive. It's so large and yeah, there's yeah. no way one person can represent all of that but i think if we have the understanding and empathy that like everyone's doing the best that they can in in mm-hmm. the in the way that they have it um then that's all we can really ask for and hope for just more opportunities where there's less pressure for this one person to be yeah yeah everything for everyone you know yeah yeah so thinking about kind of these last Months in city council, is there like a recent project or work that you've felt particularly proud of so far, or you feel good about like the energy around it, the momentum, yeah. or if something's like been completed and you're like done, that is something that we were able to accomplish?
2: Yeah, I, I think like just like to quickly like, touch on some stuff, like we pushed as an office things on like housing affordability. So that obviously was something that was really big to me, uh, and I'm really happy to get through. I think helping our unhoused neighbors has always been a big thing. A lot of our budget amendments had to do with helping, you know, uh, unhoused folks, or were around affordable housing. Some of them are around public safety. So for me, that was really big. I mean, we had a we had an item that also had a budget amendment part to it. But I don't know if you guys remembered. And I'm pointing outside, which you can't see what I'm pointing at. But my first second month in office, there was uh, right after the winter storm, there was a gentleman who fell in Lady Bird Lake and his body was later recovered. And there was, I don't know what happened, but there was this moment where there were several people just falling into the body of water and their bodies being washed up and, you know, it became a big thing. And there's a lot of misinformation out there, but you know, the fact of the matter was that there were people who were going out and not coming back home. Uh, And we wanted to make sure that we put a a stopgap and made it as safe as possible that hey, if you're going out for a night of fun, you should not have to worry about are you going to make it home safe or is your loved one going to make it home safe? So we authored a resolution, you know, sponsored a resolution to increase safety on 6th Street. And it wasn't through necessarily putting more cops. What it was was putting up lighting and looking at putting up cameras and fencing and signage and then having like an EMS patrol. So if anyone does you know, fall in the water, they can be saved. And we've seen it work. And what we then had a, a budget amendment was was for getting bars, test strips to see if you know people's drinks are getting spiked. Because what we've heard is that potentially some of the people who might have fallen in the water might have been drugged. And there's been numerous instances of people who got into the entertainment district to get drugged. So I think seeing a horrible situation and then seeing a policy and then also the budget amendment kind of come together at a, at a solution was really fulfilling. But you know, like I said, this dais is very committed to to doing right and helping our most vulnerable communities, but also making sure that Austinites can afford to to live here and also to get from point A to point B. So there's like a lot of, I think a lot of good work uh, that I'm proud of. Like I said, proud that we passed all six of our budget amendments, proud of the work that we've done. But in terms of like a story that that sticks with me is, is that initial story, that resolution around what happened in Rainy Street, because I, I met the family of the gentleman who had fallen in the water and had worked with them and you know his friends and I think that'll kind of always stick with me when I you know when I walk or, or drive by you know certain area I'm like well that's where you know his body was found and you know that's where he used to live so I think that that human aspect of this policy is something that'll kind of always stick with me.
1: Yeah, I have chills listening to that because I think I think a lot of us you know read about those stories. It definitely became topic of conversation on social media. Lots of like <laughs> you said, some misinformation out there. But also, I hadn't really heard about what the follow-up was. And to hear it yeah. right now, I think, just goes to show the the need for more uh, attention around uh, the work that you do, mm-hmm. the council does, but also, yeah, that something has been done to be able to hopefully prevent more of that stuff from happening. So I appreciate you yeah. sharing that with us. We have a couple more questions before we wrap up, but... When you look back at your term on the council, what kind of impact or work do you hope to look back proudly on?
2: Yeah, I mean, this sounds also probably another cliche thing. But I, you know, I want to leave the council in this district and the city in a better place. And when I came into it, I think one thing that I haven't been afraid to do, and I kind of mentioned this at the top where I'm not afraid to be the only vote whether for or against something if I believe it's the right thing to do. So I think that's how I kind of want to remember it, right? Like you could disagree with me, but at the end of the day, you know that I uh, came from a place of of thoughtfulness uh, and empathy and care before deciding a vote and because you could disagree on it, but you understand why I got there. And also someone who just, like I said, wants to badly work really hard for the city. And I always tell my staff this, I said, listen, I, you know, I'm not supposed to be here, right? People who look like me aren't supposed to be, you know, represented on on this dais and and haven't been represented on this dais, and you know, representing a district like this, like I'm not supposed to be here, right? So, I just want to do as much good as I can, right? Whether I have one term or two terms or you know, whatever my political career looks like, but at the at the very least, I have these four years, and we have these four years as a team. So let let's do as much good as we can, right? So because at the end of the day, like. Everything, everything has an end date, right? Whether you are a, a council staffer or a council member, eventually it all it all ends, right? So, how much good can we do in these in this time together when it comes to addressing our affordability crisis, when it comes to addressing transit issues, when it comes to addressing public safety or homelessness or workers' rights, whatever it may be, right? So, I, I think that's what I kind of want to do. Outside of never wanting to exhaust my myself as much as I can help it, or or my staff it's about like let's give our all to this And that's what i also want to it's going off of your, your question kind of want to be remembered as like i want to give a smile like i, I don't want to ever have any regret of like i wish i had done this right because wishes and if i had done that and if, if i had done this or, or, ju- or just that and and i'd rather just do everything i can to actually implement and push for good policy
0: So Zoe, we like to um, end the show with rapid fire. But before we do that, let me get to ask you fun questions. Um, We like to ask all of our guests one final question. And so, you know, I love that you took us along the journey of being able to see yourself in the media, right? In some representation from those characters that were being made fun of to being villainized to then having this moment of pride in, in seeing Rogue One. How's your relationship to being a Pakistani American today?
2: Well, I also want to add this. I actually have an action figure of a rogue one in my office. I'll just quickly show it because I was so amazed by there was someone who looked like me who was like an action figure. And like I had toys when I was growing up, but I never had anyone who like looked like me. So after I watched the movie, I got like a I got a I got a I got a Riz Emma or like whatever he's called. I love in that. But yeah, I, I mean, I'm, I'm proud of where, you know, like, I'm not here without the sacrifices of those people who came before me and my family members. And, you know, my, my early could be better. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I haven't gone to visit Pakistan in quite a bit. I think it's been 15 years now. Uh, I went a lot when I was younger, but I haven't had a chance to go. But, you know, I have a tremendous sense of pride. I think every little bit of experience and thing that makes me who I am, like, I'm so thankful for, right? Like, I'm thankful I was born in New Jersey, right? Even though, like, who says that? Uh, And I'm thankful I had an opportunity to kind of like live in other states. And I'm thankful to have experienced, you know, all the different schools that I've gone to or the people I've met or, you know, I'm thankful for being, you know, a South Asian Pakistani Muslim in Austin, Texas. Right. So I'm very proud of of who I am. And like I said, without like sacrifices of my grandparents who were, you know, they were born in, in British India. Right. And then they had to go through partition. Right. And I was talking to my grandparents after the election and I had won and like my grandfather was like immensely proud of you know to see it to see his, his grandson you know get get elected and I thought to myself I said you know they went through partition in the 1940s in the 1970s they came to the states and then like 50 years after coming to the states they see their you know grandson in the elected office and you know seeing someone from you know one of their own you know is uh, I think for them a real beautiful and, and heartwarming thing so I, I have a lot of love for, you know, I guess my parents' home country, and I'm very thankful of, of who I am. And I think being a Pakistani Muslim on the Austin City Council, I have a unique perspective on things. And, you know, I'm glad to to share it with others. And a lot of other people on this dais have their own unique perspective. And I think that's what makes us so special as a, as a city. And, you know, and other cities are so special, too, when you have diverse people from different backgrounds coming together and meshing together.
0: Yeah. Beautifully said. I feel like being able to have that experience with your grandfather, I think that's probably invaluable. So thank you for sharing that. So we're going to wrap this up. This is what comes to mind, top of mind. We're going to do a really quick rapid fire here. And and just before we do that, just want to thank you so much for joining us this afternoon. Really enjoyed this conversation. Um, All right. First question, what is your favorite Asian restaurant in Austin?
2: Oh, in Austin. Okay, in Austin. I really like Kindy. It's like a food Thai food truck.
1: Um,
2: yes. I don't know if you've gone. I like it a lot. Um, it's delicious. And then there's yeah. I'll stick. I'll stick with Kindy for now.
0: Yeah, that's a great one. What was your favorite Asian snack growing up?
2: So I don't know. I, I think this is probably very like South. Asia. It might be a very Pakistani thing. My grandmother used to make um, roti, which I don't know how to like bread. I don't know how to, I don't know how to translate it into any other thing. But she would put like butter on it and then like roll it up into like a, a roll. And sometimes she would wouldn't put butter, but she would put like sugar in it, um, which is obviously very unhealthy. And give it that. So that for me, that was like my for, like, going to my grandmother, grandparents house and getting like she would like hand make it and then like roll it. And then like I so said, either put butter or put um, sugar. And like I just huge fan.
0: And what is your favorite Austin pastime?
2: So I've gotten really, really into ever since we got the uh, the soccer team, Austin FC. So like I religiously go to games. Uh, I'm going to a game basically all the games end the season. So I just I love watching. When I was younger, I loved playing soccer. Now I love watching it. So so that's always great. But you know, on a weekend where I don't have any. Work meetings or events to go to, like weekends in Austin are, are always really nice with, with my wife. We like normally get up kind of late, go to the farmer's market, you know, go maybe run, you know, take a run or go out on, on Lady Bird Lake and just like kind of keep busy with the sights and sounds of, of, you know, living in living in Austin, whether it's like being on South Congress or going up north or going hiking or, or whatnot. So then there's always something to do. And I, I have a lot of pride anytime anyone visits. I'm like, oh, like, let me show you around.
0: Yes, absolutely. Amazing city. Thanks again so much, Zo.
2: No, yeah, of course. Thank you all.
1: It was so awesome to have Zo on and hear a little bit more about his political journey and career and family and what kind of inspired him. I think one topic that continues to come up, and even with Zo, is the idea of being the first in a field, in a role, and especially in such a public facing job, that there can be a lot of like pressure and burden on that, either put on by yourself, your family, right. or even in this case, the AAPI or South Asian community at large. And that can be really tough. I don't know if you've experienced that or how that shows up for you, Sandra. Right.
0: Right knowing that you're pioneering or being the first of something. Yeah. That's incredible pressure where, you know, you're inspiring young little girls, young little boys. They look up to you and say, Hey, someday I can sit on city council. Like that story he said about that individual he met and his daughter, you know, he mentioned she's going to be the first South Asian president. And it's what a moment of pride of being able to inspire that. But also I can just imagine like personally for me, Wow. That's, that's a lot of pressure. So incredible, but also recognizing that's quite the theme there. It's, we're hoping it's, it's not just the first and not going to be the first for many, many years. It should, we're seeing momentum there. And, and I hope that we continue to see so.
1: Yeah. And I think for me, how I've, have experienced that, or I think what I've learned is the way that I can feel really confident and just good about what I'm doing is by being true to myself and staying true to that and knowing that I'm representing myself. And hopefully, yeah, it's a good representation for the larger umbrella, but I can sleep well at night, you know, if I, at the end of the day, know that I stayed true to who I was and and what I believe in. So
0: for sure. Like, I love that when you said that to Zoe, it's, honestly, it's about being authentic, right? It's not about being an idealistic way that you think the community wants you to be. You've got to stay true to who you are. So yeah, I love that.
1: All right. Uh, We'll catch you on the next one. See y'all later. Bye y'all. Bye.